So I was at my favorite coffee shop the other day. Some of you know which one that is. And I was just sitting there doing some work, you know, and did some, uh, some writing. And um, I noticed someone across the, the, the coffee shop there that, that I hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, oh, you know, there's so-and-so. And, you know, but he was with his kids, so I didn't feel like I should, you know, walk over to him. And then I thought maybe he'd see me and walk over to me. And so we just kind of didn't do anything. But then a couple minutes later, our eyes locked and knew that awkward moment of like, oh, you know, so we kind of met in the middle. And I said, hey, how's this going? And, and uh, we just caught up a little bit. Within two minutes, he, he shared with me some difficult things that were going on in his life. And it turned out that his, uh, his wife's father, was his health was failing, and um, he had dementia, and he was requiring like 24-hour assistance, and it was just wearing them out. And half the time, this, the, the dad didn't recognize them, and my heart just broke for him. And I felt this pain, and I, and I could almost feel his exhaustion and his wife's, even though she wasn't there. And it hit me. It, hit, it just hit me, you know, that quote from Plato. It says, uh, be kind to everyone because everyone you know is fighting a hard battle. And I just thought, that's so true. Like, if you and I were to hang out just for a little bit at the coffee shop and start sharing each other's lives, it probably wouldn't take very long before I learn about something that's, that's, that's going on in your life? Are you learning about something that's going on in my life that's really tough? Yes? Kind of sapping you of energy, sapping you of strength. And the reality is that each and every one of us face issues, difficulties, trials, hardships that can really wipe us out. And feel us leaving like we don't have the power, we don't have the strength to be able to deal with the situation. Like we're done. We have got, I've got nothing left. Maybe, maybe for you it's a relationship and you've tried and tried and tried and you've seen the counselor and, and you're just like, I have nothing left to give to this relationship. Maybe it's a particular sin issue in your life and you've tried to win and you've tried to defeat it. But temptation keeps getting you and you're like, I just have no more energy to fight this addiction, this temptation. And so you've, you've given in. Maybe it's a situation with a child, you know, a teenager. So you've, you've tried and tried and tried and now it's just you've, you've got nothing left to give and you're, you're out of strength. You're out of energy. I don't know what it is, but all of us have something we're starting a series today called Power Up. And this series is really all about how do you and I find the strength that we need to be able to deal with the current situation we're in. And some of you are like, well, I don't know if this series is for me because I'm good. Like I got, I'm great. Like I don't have any big problems right now and I feel energized and I have strength and good for you. It probably won't last, so enjoy it while you're there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, I don't want to be a pessimist. That's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad that you don't have any big problems right now, and you feel strength, and you feel energy, and that's, that's wonderful. God's blessing you. Here's what I know to be true, though. Even if that's where you are, you probably have a loved one, a friend, a family member, somebody that's not doing well, somebody that's going down quickly, somebody that's out of energy, and here's what I would ask you to do today. Maybe this, maybe this talk isn't for you. Maybe it's for that person you wish was here, but they're not. Or maybe they're here and you're hoping they'll start to listen. Maybe, here, here's what I want to say to you. Maybe today you'll be like a filter or, or, or just like a, a gutter. You know how gutter kinda, gutters kind of catch the water and deliver them? Maybe you're supposed to catch this information and deliver it out to somebody else who needs some energy and some strength and some hope. 
So whether you're doing well or not well, I believe this talk is for you. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some strategies to find some power and find some strength to be able to deal with the situations we find ourselves in in real life. And so today what I want to do is look into the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a fantastic book. There's 150 Psalms, or 151 could be wrong about that. We'll check. Um, there's a lot of them, okay? Uh, supposed to know the answer to that question. Trivia. Okay, how many Psalms are there? All right, moving on. So, love the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, we find out, you know, the heart of God, how to love God, how to worship God. We also find, about, find out about, you know, where our source of strength is. And your notes, the first, first thing I want to say about this is that God, if you look into the book of Psalms, we find out God is the source of our strength. Like, he, he himself is our strength. A few moments ago, we just, we just heard in the scripture reading by our worship leaders, Psalm 46, verse 1. This is what it says. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. This Hebrew word trouble, Old Testament, was most of it was written in Hebrew. It simply means you find yourself in a situation, backed into a corner, and there is going to be a certain failure, certain loss, certain defeat. There's no way to get out of this one. We are going to lose. That's what this word trouble means. We're going to lose in this situation. The psalmist says, when you find yourself in a spot where you're backed into a corner and there's no way out and there's going to be certain pain, here's what I want you to remember. God is your refuge and your strength. Hebrew word refuge simply means a place of protection, a place of safety, a place you can run to so you can, you know, find security. That's God. He's not only your place of protection, your refuge, he's also your source of strength. The Hebrew word in, in for strength is power or might. In other words, you can, when you find yourself backed into a corner, when things are difficult, when there's no way out and you're certainly going to fail, or suffer pain or suffer loss, you can run to God for protection and you can run to him for energy and power to deal with the situation. Wow. It's a nice verse. Don't you think that's a nice verse? God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. How many of you have seen the movie Endgame? The most recent one. Yeah? Okay. Some fans out there. Some... How many have not seen it? Okay, there's more have not seen it that have seen it. How many of you have not seen it, you're actually planning on seeing it? Oh, dang it. What's wrong with you? Gosh, it's been out for like two weeks. Well, I'm, I'm going to try not to give away the whole movie. I just want to just share a little, little piece. Can I do that? With, are you going to hate me if I share a little? Can I do it? Like, you should have heard them Saturday night. Saturday night, they were like, we're going to hate you. It's like throwing things at me. Okay, so let me just share a little bit. Okay, so because every single hero movie is kind of like this. So the good guys are getting backed into a corner, right? And it, it looks like things are going to go badly. Like Thame Thermos, what's his name? Thanos Thermos? I, okay, so the bad guy, I know, I should know, I know, I know. So, so the bad guy, is, he's got his army and, and, and it looks like they're going to just beat the good guys. And the good guys are, the good guys are being backed into a corner. And every movie goes this way. I'm not giving anything away, right? 
And it's like, oh, no, you know, what, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, the guy with the cape, the wizard guy, with the, makes the circles. You know, he shows up and does the circle thing. I don't know what his name is. I should. I'm sorry. You can correct me. Send me emails later. But he does his circle thing. And all of, like, the Avengers that died in the last movie come in. And I know, I know I'm sort of giving it away, but there's a lot more to the story. There's a lot more to the story, Okay. So these circles pop up out of thin air. Don't know how that happened. And they come in and they, oh, and they save the day. What a story. It, it, listen, what's interesting, isn't that how every like Avenger, like every, except for the last one, like, uh, isn't that how they all, like the, the, the good guys are getting backed into a corner and then all of a sudden, you know, the, you know things change and, and they win the day. That's the story of the Bible. That's Psalm 46.1. Like when you're backed into a corner, when, when it looks like you're, you're all is lost, God shows up and he saves the day. Wow. Sorry if I hurt, hurt you a little bit there. There's, I promise there's a lot more to the story. You should still go see it. Amazing. If we can get to see God this way, if we can view him this way as the rescuer, as the very present help in times of trouble, it would change our lives. In your notes, I wrote, I wrote this. Something amazing would happen. If we believed that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble, fear would be eliminated from our life. Look with me at verse 2, Psalm 46, verse 2. Therefore, that's an important word. If God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of need, therefore, in view of that truth, if you and I can get there, therefore, we will, say it with me, not fear. Fear will be banished from our lives. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, picture earthquakes, picture all hell breaking loose on earth. Though its waters roar and foam, picture a tsunami coming over, just swallowing up the earth. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He's exact, the author of Psalm 46 is exaggerated. He's saying, picture the worst case scenario, like Armageddon, like, like you've seen the movies. Even though everything looks like it's over, we will not fear. Why? Because God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That's amazing. Commentator William McDonald, Bible commentator, he said this on this passage, the worst that can happen is no cause for fear. Can you imagine being in such a place emotionally, spiritually, where even the worst that can happen, the worst thing that can happen is no cause for fear? Is that even possible? I mean, who writes stuff like Psalm 46, 1, 2, and 3? Somebody who's like detached from reality, maybe? Is it even realistic? Should we even try to appropriate or apply those verses to our life? I think we can. And here's why. Because Psalm 46, 1, 2, and 3 is actually written in response to an event that took place 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before Christ was born... There was a king named Hezekiah who took over the leadership in the kingdom of Israel. And he was a good king. And Israel struggled with good kings and bad kings if you've read the Old Testament. But Hezekiah was a good king. And he was bringing all kinds of reforms to the nation. And, and things were really going well. 
At the same time, there was this other king named Sennacherib. Say that five times. Sennacherib. If you're having a boy baby soon, you might consider Sennacherib for his name. You can call him Seneki, you know, for short. King Sennacherib was a bad dude. And, and he led this nation called Assyria, and they were merciless, and they were massive, and they were just taking over the world. And they were basically picking off kingdom after kingdom, nation after nation. They were kind of on this Adolf Hitler world domination tour. That's what they were doing. And everybody that they took, they were merciless to the people that they conquered. And so guess who was next in line as the Assyrians kind of were taking over the world? Well, it was the nation of Israel. So they invaded the northern part of the, of the kingdom and they took over the northern part and then they invaded the southern part of Israel and they were doing really well and they finally got to the walls of Jerusalem. This is, real, this, this is a historical event. You can look it up. They get to the walls of Jerusalem and they're about to invade and they, they, they wait. And King Hezekiah sees what's going on and he knows that they're backed into a corner. He knows they're in some deep trouble. He knows he doesn't have an army to fight these guys there. Certain death is going to happen. Look with me in 1 Kings chapter 19. Watch what happens. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they've thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood, stone, shaped by human hands. In other words, God, I know why King Sennacherib has been, been so successful. Like, like these other kingdoms, they have, they have no God. The, the gods that they've made, they're, they're, they're fake. They're not real. But you are the real God. Listen to, listen to his prayer. Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Not, not because we have great armies. Not because you've given us all these soldiers. No, no, no. Because you're God, then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. God, you're it. You're the creator of the heavens and the earth. You have all the power. And we believe that you can save us from this massive army and from certain annihilation. Look what happens in verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord, not ten angels, not a hundred angels, not a thousand angels, just one. That night, the one angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 soldiers. He's got to sit down. Think about that. One angel wipes out an entire army. The next day, watch what happens. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning... They found corpses everywhere. I would think so. So everywhere they stepped was another corpse. See, it's in, it's in response to this event, certain annihilation, that Psalm 46 was written. Listen to it again. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help when the Assyrian army is outside the walls of the city and they're about to come in when the sun rises and wipe us out a very present help in time of trouble the question then is this this is a great story but the question is okay does that all apply to me like can i claim this for myself can can i can i 
count God to be my refuge and my strength when I face times of trouble, when I'm back to into a corner, when, when, things, when the relationship is terrible, the marriage has gone sour, or this, I got this problem with, with, with my child, or, 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 or I'm facing this sickness with cancer. Can I claim Psalm 46, 1 through 3 for myself? And the answer is yes, you can. Robert Morgan, in his book, The Strength You Need, he writes about this story. Listen to what he has to say. If God could save Hezekiah and his city from annihilation, he can surely help you and me in the distresses of our life. That's the application. Like if that's what God can do for him, then he can. If God can deliver Hezekiah and the nation of Israel and Jerusalem, then he can certainly deliver me in my situations. Yes, in fact, it's true. Psalm 46, 1, 2, and 3 is for you and it is for me as people of faith. Now, I think that's pretty good news. Don't you think that's pretty good news? Are you excited about that? I think it's awesome. And we have to understand that this applies to us. But what I've noticed is, is that many, many people of faith, many Christians will agree with Psalm 46, 1 through 3, and even agree with Psalm 23, verse 4. And some of you have it memorized. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You say, oh yeah, I believe that. I believe Psalm 46, one is refuge, strength, therefore, you know, very present help in time of need, therefore I will not. You, you say you believe that, but then practically speaking, as you go through your life and trouble hits or relationship goes bad or, or there's a, a diagnosis of some sort, you give in to fear. In other words, we know what the book says. We know that we shouldn't live with fear. We know that it's possible to live without fear. But there we are, because of the negative circumstances, plunged into fear. For all intensive purposes, we're practical atheists. Saying that we're believers, coming to church on Sunday, hearing this, reading this. But then when we go out and we face difficulty, we cave into fear. We have a very difficult time taking what we hear and applying it to our life such that we live without fear. I know that's hard to say, and I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. Many Christians are completely dominated by fear, even though the Bible says that we can live without it. So the question we got to answer then is how do we work this out in our lives? The question is not, can you quote Psalm 46, 1 through 3, or Psalm 20, 23, verse 4? Oh yeah, I can quote it, but I can't live it. What is it? It doesn't matter if you can quote it. It doesn't matter if I can quote it, or even teach it. What matters is, have I worked it out in my life such that I have strength to deal with the problems I'm facing? Yes? How do we do that? Well, Psalm 28, verse 7 tells us how. Listen. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Just a point of, just a fact, this is what the psalmist is saying. The way I live my life, he's my strength, he's my shield. How does that work? Watch this. I trust in him with all my heart. Ah, <laughs> this is the answer. How do I live out this truth? How do I apply this truth to my life? I and you must put our full trust in him, our whole heart, mind, will, emotions, desires, hopes, dreams, situations, problems, difficulties. We take the whole, all of ourselves, our whole heart, and trust him with the entire package. 
When we do that, watch what happens. He helps me. He assists me. He supports me. He saves me. He rescues me. And my heart is filled with joy. And then what happens? I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Did you know that Psalm 46 is a song? In fact, all of the Psalms are songs. They're responses. They're, they're, they're people writing music because something has happened and they can't hold it in and there's joy and they're excited. And so they start to burst out with songs of thanksgiving because of what God has done. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I can't sing it, but it is a song. How do we get to this point? Where we can trust. In fact, let me back up. What is trust? Like, that's a difficult idea to get our brains wrapped around. Well, let's go to Webster, because that's always a reliable source to kind of get a definition. Don't you agree? This is what Marion Webster had to say. Trust is the belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, or effective. Reliable, good, honest, or effective. I believe that this chair is reliable. It's effective. It will work. And therefore, I will do what? I will sit. I will rest all of my weight on this chair because I trust it. When we trust someone, we enter into a business partnership with them. Or we enter into a relationship with them because we believe that they're honest. They're going to tell the truth, that they're reliable. They're going to do what they said they were going to do, right? Trust is so important. So to trust God simply means, God, I trust that you're good. I trust that you're reliable. I trust that you're effective. I'm going to take my whole life and I'm going to rest it upon who you are. Ah, that's the secret to finding strength for life. That's the secret to living without fear. You with me, yes or no? You can talk to me, it's okay. Throw something at me, speak to me, argue with me. Let me know you're alive. That's the secret to finding strength is trusting in God, believing he's good, he's reliable, he's trustworthy, he's effective. I can take my whole life and rest it upon his character. So then that begs the question, well, I'm not very good at that, so how do I get better at trusting God so that I could have strength to face life, the difficulties, so I can live without fear? Now we're getting somewhere. Let's talk about how to build our trust. Three strategies. Number one, you have to search the scriptures. You have to search the scriptures. I tell you guys to read the Bible all the time. Not so that you can be a good Christian necessarily or tell others that you read the Bible. It's so that you can find strength for life. This book is a book of faith. It's not a book to find answers to deep questions about life. It can do that. It's not a book to win arguments with your friends at work about apologetics. You can do that. It's fine. I wouldn't recommend it. It's a book of faith. God's given us stories in this book so that we can learn to trust him with all of our life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I was sitting at the kitchen table the other day as I do every morning before I start my day and I'm just reading through the New Testament in the book of Acts I came across this passage where Peter and a couple of other disciples were going to the temple for a three o'clock prayer meeting and there was this man, this beggar at the front of the temple And he asked for money. Peter said, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but here's what I do have. And he says, stand up. Watch what happens in Acts chapter 3. Then Peter took the man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were 
instantly healed and strengthened. Listen. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the prayer meeting with them. Just sitting at my table, at the kitchen table, a cup of coffee, my journal is out before the day starts. And I just, I just read this story. I'm like, wow, look at what you do. Look at your power. When, after the miracle happened, people started to praise Peter. They started to, they started to worship Peter. Peter's like, Peter's like, no, don't do it. Like, like I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, I denied Jesus three times. Like, I'm the goofy one that jumped in the water. Like, one time Jesus had to call me Satan and say, get behind me, Satan. Like, don't worship me. Now, he didn't say all that, but I bet he was thinking it, Yes. He says, no, 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 the only reason this man was healed because of the power that is in the name of Jesus. And I'm just reading this, I'm like, man, what do you think happened to my my trust levels that morning as I was reading through Acts chapter three? What do you think happened? You think they went up or down? They just went up, just a little bit. Every day a little bit, every day a little bit. More stories, more faith, more trust, up, up, up. Well, that means more strength for me. That means for me, there's more, there's more faith and less fear because I read this book. Some of you are like, I don't have time to read. Well, then I guess your trust isn't going to grow. And your strength isn't going to grow. If you don't have time for that, I, I can't help you. Search the scriptures daily. Secondly, you want to build your trust. Look at what God is doing in the lives of others. God is at work in people's lives, man. Just pay attention. When I was in London a couple weeks ago, one of the pastors stood up and he was talking about what God was doing in his church, Seacoast Church here in the States. And he started off by saying this. He said, look, I'm not a charismatic pastor. We don't have a charismatic church. We don't focus on the gifts of healing and tongues and all that stuff. We don't, we don't do all that stuff. We're just very, very, very just normal church. But something's going on in our church and people are asking me for healing, and I'm praying for them, and they're getting healed. And he's just talking up in front of about 100 pastors, you know. And my cynical side of me, I'm like from, from New York, so everything I hear is like, yeah, like, what are you pulling? You know, are you telling this story so more people can come to your church? Like, what's going on? And so I was real cynical, uh, real skeptical. But then as I listened, um, I, that started to fade a little bit. And after it was over, I circled back with this pastor and I said, hey, tell me more about your church. What's going on? And he started talking about these individual people, like with names and faces, not faces, but names. And this person got healed from cancer and this person got healed from this. And it's like, wow. He told me some more stories. And I just listened. We talked for about 30 minutes. And then he said this at the, end of his con- at the end of the conversation. He said, it's amazing, and I really can't explain this, but when I lay hands on somebody and pray for their healing, there's like a 60, 60% chance they get healed. I was like, wow. I've never heard that in my life. And this guy wasn't goofy. He wasn't weird. He was just, you can check out Seacoast Church. You can look them up. They're just like us, just like multi-site church, just like us. And all the skepticism and that cynicism kind of fell away. And, and I started to see that God is genuinely doing a, a miraculous work through this pastor and through this church. And what do you think happened to my trust level for God? It just bumped up a little bit. Now I'm, when I pray for people, I'm praying a little bit different. Like, okay, God, like, I have a little bit more faith. Would you, would you heal this person? Would you, would you do something miraculous in their life? And so I'm praying bolder prayers, more faithful Trustworthy prayers. Look at what God is doing in the lives of others and your trust levels will go up. Search the scriptures. Your trust levels will go up. Let me give you this third one. 
reflect on what God has done in your life. Listen, you're here, right? Which means you got out of that trouble. <laughs> or at least you got out, got, you're out of it right now for a little while. Otherwise you wouldn't be here, yes? Has God been faithful to you at all? Has he ever shown up for you in the past to deliver you or save you? Yes or no? Yes or no, right? So all you have to do, listen. All you have to do is kind of go back and do a little bit of reflection, a little bit of review. Like remember that one time we got in that spot and there was no way out and then God showed up? Or the check came in the mail? Or the, situ or the job changed? Or the situation? Or my son came home? Or whatever? It's like, oh yeah, wow. Yes, God is good. He's powerful. He's a refuge. He's a strength. Friday night I was at a, a, a rehearsal dinner for a wedding. A friend of mine's daughter was getting married. I got married. And um, it was 10 o'clock. We were with friends, my wife, together, hanging out, having a good time. And I uh, got a, a phone call from my brother. And I'm like, 10 o'clock at night? My brother doesn't call me at 10 o'clock at night. So I didn't answer it because I thought, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> so then he sends me a text message. And the text message read, hey, dad's, dad's in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Call me as soon as you can. So I got out on the porch of this place and called my brother and um, they said, yeah, they took, him, they took dad to urgent care and they said he has a blood infection. Now, for a blood infection for my dad is a serious, serious situation because he's had three open heart surgeries. And the last time he had an open heart surgery, the valve that they replaced in his heart, the aorta valve, got infected. And so any type of infection in his body will go straight to the weakest part of the body, which is the heart, and he has a plastic valve, so it's very, very complicated. So 103 fever, he's in the ambulance, they're going to the hospital, I'm at this party, this dinner party on the phone, and I felt it on the porch. I felt the fear start to rise. My dad's not a healthy man. The last surgery they did, they said he's got a 40% chance of survival. He made it through. It's like, and I, in that split second, I had to make a decision. Am I going to cave into this fear and freak out and start crying? And go back in and have to face my wife and my friends. They have no idea what's going on. How am I going to explain it to them? And on the porch, I just said, God, you had to have, have saved my father in the past. You delivered him. You protected him. Three open heart surgeries. The last time his blood was infected... You got the right antibiotics to the doctors. They put it in them. It went away. You can do that again. And here's what literally happened on the porch right, right there after I hung up with my brother. The fear just kind of subsided. Why? Because I just went back to what God did in the past. And I remembered he's a faithful God. He is a refuge. He is a strength. He is a very present help. For those who are backed into a corner and it looks like certain failure, certain tragedy. So just to give you a quick update, he's been in the hospital for two days. There he's stable. He does have a blood infection, but they have antibiotics in him. His fever is way down. He doesn't, in fact, it's 98.7 again. So they're, they're going to keep him admitted, but uh, he's, he's, he's stable right now. So if you want to pray for him, pray for him. That'd be awesome. But here's my point. Here's my point. If you want to build your trust, you have to be intentional. You have to search the scriptures. You have to look at what God is doing in the lives of others. And you have to reflect on what he's done in your life. 
Remember, and every time we do that, it builds our trust and then that builds our strength so that we can face into life without fear. This last week, I'll tell you one more quick story. I had a meeting with a young man named Chase. And I didn't know who Chase was and he asked for a meeting and, and so I said, yes, Pastor Cody, you're in agreement with Pastor here. We met together, the three of us. And and so I'm listening to Chase's story. I knew, I knew that he had some sort of battle with cancer, but I didn't know the story. So he starts out and he says, you know, I said, hey, well, you know, tell me your story. What's going on? And he says, well, when I was 12, uh, when I was 13, uh, I started to get some pain in my femur bone. And so we go to the doctor. It turns out I've got a rare form of cancer. And so we started chemotherapy and went after it, had a surgery. He's got a metal plate in his femur bone. Six, seven months later, they beat the, he beat the cancer. He said, fast forward, uh, till I was, that was when I was 13, fast forward to 15, the cancer returned again a second time. And I was like, wow. So they redid the chemo, did all that stuff, went after it again and, and beat the cancer a second time. So I'm just sitting there listening to his story. And, and this, this kid is like, he's just chill and, and he's just telling me this story, you know. I said, well, what happened next? He said, well, fast forward, I was 17, the cancer came back again, this rare form of cancer that hits young people, but this time it returned in my lung and some spots on his lung, and so we went after it again with the chemo and all that stuff and fought it, and um, we were able to beat it again. I was like, wow, three times. So I said, you know, what, what happened next? He said, well, you know, today's my 18th birthday. This was Wednesday. He said, I turned 18 today. And uh, recently, they, the, I felt something inside, and the doctors said that the cancer returned for a fourth time. This time, it's a golf ball-sized tumor behind my heart. It's attached to my esophagus. And I noticed he had a bag there. I thought it was his backpack. It was his chemo bag with a wire attached to a pump. As we were talking, he was having chemo pumped into a system on his 18th birthday. This is a picture of Chase right here. It's from Trafalgar, some of you know him. Fantastic swimmer. So I'm listening to him tell this story and he's currently fighting cancer. He's currently, you know, radiation and, 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 and chemo. And I asked him about faith. I said, well, how does faith kind of play into all this? And he said, well, it's simple for me. You know, I've looked at people who don't have faith in God, and I've looked at people who do, and to me, it's a no-brainer. It's like, that's impressive. And then he said this, because I kind of pushed in. I wanted to see a little bit more, you know, what he was thinking and what he was feeling. And the whole time, he was super chill and just, just kind of matter-of-fact about the whole deal. And he, he made this comment. I thought it was unbelievable. He said, you know, I, this cancer may keep coming back, and it may kill me, and I may be dead in three years. Or... I may just keep beating it and live till I'm 75, 85 years old. But either way, I just want to please God with my life. And when he said that, I was like, what? Like, I know 40-year-olds that can't say that. I don't even know if I could say that. The whole time I was thinking, why are you, why are you here? Like when people come to see me, it's like, help me deal with life. I'm drowning. Chase wasn't drowning. I'm thinking, what, what can I do to help you? Like you're, 
you're doing awesome. You're doing better than most people I know. <laughs> you're doing better than me sometimes. Here's what was markedly absent from his life. Fear. He didn't even fear death. So I said, dude, what can I do for you? Like, what do you need from me? He said, well, honestly, you know, the reason I'm here today is because I would like some insight on how God wants to use me with this cancer. Like, I don't know. Like, what's his plan? Whatever his plan is, I just want to do it well. I was like, wow. That's unbelievable. What a blessing to me. What a blessing to you. And I don't know that I gave him a very good answer. I tried. I helped him a little bit. But here's my point today. It's possible for you and I to live without fear. It is possible for you and I to face our situation that's draining us and wearing us out with power and with strength because of who God is. He's reliable, he's trustworthy, he's truthful, he's effective, and he's powerful. The question then is this, will you intentionally, that's the key word, develop your trust in God? It's not gonna happen because you showed up today, folks. We already said this, many Christians will intellectually agree with the sermon, but then they go out and live their life like an atheist. Like it's not going to happen because you heard a talk or you saw a verse. It's going to happen when you intentionally search the scriptures, when you look at what God is doing in the lives of other people, and when you consistently reflect on what he's done in your life. That's when you find the strength to face into your life without fear. Does this make sense? Hey, if an 18-year-old kid can do it, what do you think? Can you do it, yes or no? Hey, he just turned 18, he's practically 17. We don't have an excuse. Will you intentionally develop your faith? I hope that you will. I hope that it's like the ball has been handed off to you and now you gotta take it and you gotta run with it. It's up to you now. I've done as, as much as I possibly can do to motivate you and encourage you and to instruct you. Now it's up to you. Now there's some of you here today you need in on this whole thing called faith. Like you're an outsider. You're not sure about faith yet. You know, you're nervous. You've got questions and doubts. And the step that you need to take is a, is a step to put your faith in Christ for the first time. You need to trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That he paid the penalty for you. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you access power, yes, but you also access peace and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. And knowing your identity as a beloved child of God, like there's so much available to you if you will trust Christ. In a moment, we're gonna celebrate communion. You're gonna, we're gonna pass around these little cups of juice and bread. And the reason that we do communion as a church is to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he died and he was buried and he rose again so that you can have eternal life. That's what communion is all about. It's remembering the sacrifice of Christ. Before we take communion, are there just a few of you, maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe 30 of you that, that need to take that step of faith and trust in Christ today? I'm gonna say a simple prayer. If you haven't made that decision yet, I encourage you, take this step of faith. You know who you are because you feel God drawing you in. This is your moment. This is your time. 
trust in Jesus as your savior today. Take these words, make them your own. Put your faith in him. Say this to him, Jesus, I trust you today. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And so right now in this moment, I ask you to to wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit right now, your joy, your strength, your peace. And from this day forward, give me the wisdom to follow you, to obey you, and to honor you with my life. I pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, guys? Just a few of you, amen. If you trusted Christ, whatever campus you're at, there are tables in the back of the auditorium there. If you trusted Christ online, there's a place there where you can check. It says, I trusted Christ. Fill out your address there. We'll send one of these to you in the mail. We wanna give one of these to you for free. Here's why. It's what I said in my first point. We build trust by searching the scriptures every single day. We read these stories. This is a book of faith. And so take these words in, believe them, and you'll see your trust go up and you'll see your strength go up. One more time, let's give God glory, guys. Amen. Now, all across all of our campuses, we're gonna celebrate communion. This is an opportunity for believers. If you're a believer, this is your moment. If you're not yet a believer, just observe and watch and listen in. But if you're a believer, when we receive communion, Essentially what we're doing is reflecting, we're remembering the love, the sacrifice, the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, the spilled blood of Christ, the the broken body of Christ. Jesus said one time, he said, take this juice, drink it in remembrance of me. Take the bread, eat it in remembrance of me. Every time you do it, Jesus said, you are declaring my death until I return. So I'm gonna have the ushers come down and in just a moment, they're gonna pass the buckets. Here's what I'd like you to do. Just a little bit of instruction here as the ushers come forward at all of our campuses. As the buckets pass, just grab one of these if you're a believer in Christ and hold on to it just for a second. Don't open it yet. Don't don't drink it yet. Don't eat it yet. I'd love to do it together at all of our campuses and all of our microsites. Just hold on to it as you grab it as the buckets pass. And I just want you to have a few moments of reflection. Don't rush into it. Don't just tear it open, just have a moment and just reflect on what God has done for you. Reflect on his mercy, his grace, his love. One time Jesus said this, he said, there is no greater love than for someone to lay down his life for his friends. And then he did it. He died in our place. And this moment, this communion moment is designed to help us just to go back to that love, to reflect, to remember. So right now, as you, as you have that cup in your hands, just take a moment, close your eyes. Thank him. Tell him how, how much you love him. Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Express your gratitude. The gift of grace. The gift
gift of mercy. Before you open it, before you drink, just remember the humiliation, the crown of thorns that was placed on his head that pierced his brow. Remember that they mocked him. Remember that they spit in his face. Remember that they pulled on his beard and pulled it out. Remember that they took a stick and they hit him over the head. Remember that they took a cord and they whipped him time and time again. Remember the humiliation. Remember the nails that were placed through his hands and placed through his feet, driven through his hands and driven through his feet for you. Thank him, praise him. And together as we open this, as we eat this bread together and drink this juice together, Jesus said, take the bread, which represents my body. And I want you to eat it in remembrance of me. Then he took the juice, the wine. He said, every time you drink it, I want you to drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for doing what we needed most. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, peace, joy, fulfillment, strength. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Give life, you are love.
God, we thank you for being our refuge and our strength. You tell us there's no need to fear, but to put our trust in you because you've promised to be with us. God, show us how to pay attention to your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Strengthen us as we leave this place to put our trust in you no matter the circumstance. God, we love you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's leave this place and go intentionally develop our trust in God. We'll see you next weekend. Bring a friend.